0: Welcome to the Sky Softball Podcast. Your host, Matt Scott, will be interviewing players from past events and future events. And now, your host, Matt Scott. Got it. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another episode of the Sky Softball Podcast. We're back with another episode. It's a whole new I guess you could call it a season of guests as we're kicking off with a special guest, a good friend of mine, a good friend of Sky to
1: Softballs is
0: former major league reliever, Carlos Torres CT. What's up, bro?
1: Nothing dude. just sitting here hanging out. I uh, got finished with the workouts and uh, not jumping on podcast. Let's
0: do it. So uh, CT, one of the things I usually talk about with, guest is their recruiting process, as far as playing college sports. Talk about your process, just if you can recall any of it back way back when, and to follow up on that question, what would your advice be to those who may be starting their own process
1: now? Oh, that's easy. Uh, my pro- I did, I, for those who don't know, which should be just about everybody, uh, I went to five colleges in four years. Um So the idea of, you know, you have to be one place for them to see you is an absolute joke. I mean, that's that's never the really case. Uh, one thing that uh, Major League Baseball Player Association has been trying to get into is uh, youth sports. And the reason being is because one of the things that happens is that parents think and they usually get told, your kid has to be seen, your kid has to do this, your kid has to do that. So you have to pay all this money for us to see your kid. And you're like, hold on. That's, that's not true at all. Like I have played with two guys that made it to the major leagues who were recruited playing volleyball on the beach. One in the Dominican Republic, one in Florida. They are literally just volleyball players. And a scout walked up to him and was like, hey, you're 6'5", 240 pounds and athletic. You ever play baseball? And they're like, no. It's like, well, you're going to. And the major, major leagues. So that kind of stuff happens all the time. And same thing with colleges, like the idea of you have to go to this, that, or the other college. In reality, uh, the way the NCAA works, you might actually want to go to a JUCO first because A, it's cheaper and easier on your bank account. this day and age you can actually make money on your own name and that's a completely different story that we really should talk about by the way
2: yeah
1: but um uh if you go to a junior college you can leave college two years in versus having to wait for your third year at a four-year university so i i didn't i I didn't purposely do this but i went to (laughs) Junior college first, because I had to pay for college and I didn't, you know, I don't come from money. I've been poor my entire life. So uh, I went to junior college. My coach ended up losing his job, went to another junior college. They didn't know if I had clearing house. So I went to another school Then had to transfer to a four-year university, which was San Jose State. And then uh, incident happened, got kicked off that team, ended up at Kansas State. And that's where I got drafted. But to make it even more tricky, the scout in Kansas didn't draft me. So the guy that was supposed to see me every day, uh, every game we played in Kansas didn't recruit me at all. We, it was a scout out of Texas. He saw me play pitch against Texas A&M. And he's the one that put my name in uh, that threw my name out there. And the White Sox ended up drafting me.
0: So, what would your advice be to those who might be starting their own process?
1: The vice is simple. Just play. Nobody cares where you play. If you go to a four-year university, you go to a junior college, all the you play two sports, it does not matter. All that matters is that you're playing.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things
1: that a lot of
0: kids really need to look at at is if you get an opportunity to play, take it, you know? Yeah. And so I kind of want to circle back to what you just said about the – college athletes starting to
1: get paid now what's your what's your opinion on that oh my god they have been the biggest prostitutes for the entire existence of the ncaa think about how much money march madness brings into universities slash the ncaa oh yeah and the athletes get none we're talking about billions of dollars not hundreds not thousands billions of dollars to advertise these things let alone commercials and all the above And the athletes get zero. And not only that, but if they got an extra meal, like somebody's like, hey, you know, like you had a great game. Like, let me pay for your steak. That's an NCAA violation. Yeah, I've heard that. And I think it's
0: I I always thought it was kind of stupid. Just that's how that's how extreme it would get. But, you know, it's definitely interesting to see the athletes finally get some credibility now as far as money goes, because like I, I know a guy who's got his own little uh, sponsorship with a clothing company down in Charleston, South Carolina. So it's definitely something I hope to see more of, in my opinion. I don't
1: know about you. Oh, it's – dude, I remember – I can't remember the guy's name, and I wish I could look it up, but when I was in college, there was an Olympic athlete who wanted to play college football, but per the NCAA regulations, he had to get rid of all of his sponsorships for the Olympics because he wanted to play college sports. And there's no way they'd allow him to be sponsored for the winter Olympics if he was gonna be a college athlete. And as of this year, the very first year, you're allowed to make money off your own name. The very first year, there are already college athletes who are millionaires immediately after that law has changed. That goes to show you how how suppressed the NCAA has kept college athletes. Think about, I I went to school and I was lucky enough to go to school when it was Adrian Peterson's um, first, it was his freshman year. Adrian Peterson was a freshman when I was a senior in college and I was going to Kansas State. Adrian Peterson was by far the best running back in the entire country. He was impressive beyond belief. And that moment, he could have been a millionaire. And obviously, he had a great football career. But just think about the amount of people that play college sports and don't move on. But they could have made a significant amount of money in college. Tim Tebow, obviously, he got drafted, and made a little bit of money. But Tim Tebow could have been a hundred millionaire before he even got to the pros. And let alone, you know, uh, Zion and some of the basketball players, uh, KU is just down the street and some of these basketball players overnight can be millionaires now in college. Yeah. It, and there's And it does not take away from the university. It doesn't take away from anything else. It is just them maximizing their dollar on their brand, their name that has been taken away from them for so many years just because the NCAA could. Yeah, I think
2: it's
0: definitely something I think that could probably help more of those athletes as you talk about the the whole Asia and thing. I think one good example of just making a name or you know making money off their name is like you see the or you did see the NCAA games you know, like the college football stuff and the college baseball games you'd you'd see for like the PlayStations and stuff like that. You'd think once I know the college video games are starting to make a comeback sort of thing. We might, I feel like we could see something like that where it would help those athletes.
1: It could literally help all athletes. If for nothing else, we're talking about millionaires and and all that kind of stuff overnight right now. But if you actually look in the grand scheme of things, every player now can earn a little something, you know, like they can actually hold down a job on the side and supplement their scholarship because a scholarship, a full ride scholarship in state, mind you, not out of state, in state is college tuition, books, fees, and then they give you a meal card, nothing else. And the meal card, you can't go to Chipotle, you can't go anywhere else, you can't go get a... A drink at the bar you can't go do anything else with your life you can only go to the cafeteria at the school yeah but this gives these people a chance on their off season to actually go get a job so they can have a little extra money to do whatever it is they want they want to have a little fun or a little more fun during spring break congratulations. congratulations want to go traveling congratulations you can go do that go get a job you can do that now the NCAA was prohibiting that for so long it was disgusting it's definitely
0: interesting to see as it's slowly developing more, like, you know, like we're saying. And so we're going to, I'm going to segue into something new here. Who was your
1: favorite athlete growing up, to watch growing up? We didn't have one. Didn't have one. Uh, no. Uh, well, you got to keep in mind, like, when I went to school, it was early in the morning. Yeah. Because um, we had to travel to get to my school. Um, go to wake up early, help my dad after school, yeah. go to bed, almost never watch sports. And in reality, the only people I actually like saw play sports were the people that were years above me. <laughs> One actually very interesting name was, uh, uh, Noah Hall. Now he's not a, he didn't make the major leagues, not an enormous name of somebody who, you know, play, who's a hall of fame or whatnot. Yeah. I
0: remember meeting Noah when you, uh, yeah charlotte with syracuse i
1: think it was years 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 into my career um we were in spring training together and it was really funny because i remember watching when i was in junior high and he was in high school and i walked up to him in spring training i was like hey noah you know how's it going like my name is carlos like, yeah my name he's like you know my name's is carlos how's it going he's like yeah my name is noah. i was like i actually know who you are man uh, I went to Aptos Junior High when you were in Aptos High. And he's like, I actually know who you are. You know, so it was, it was one of those funny moments. But he's somebody I watched playing football because he was a tremendous athlete and a fantastic football player. And I watched him playing football and it was somebody else like, oh, dude, like he he's really he's really good. i well, you talk about, you
0: know, no one playing football. I know you... Correct me if I'm wrong. I played basketball, and you know, playing playing two sports is always a, a thing. I always try to, you know, whenever, whenever I have a young high schooler come up to me just asking for, you know, any sort of advice, I always tell them playing two sports is a a good idea. So, what about what's your take?
1: Uh, I lettered in four. Lettered in four. I played football, basketball, baseball, and ran track. Yeah, I know about so, I forgot about football. I thought you played oh, football. I football. I actually went to college originally to play football and I on the side was going to play baseball. And what happened is that my coach, uh, I mean, he didn't like me to begin with because I was a running quarterback. And at the time running quarterbacks weren't a thing. Yeah. People, people hated Mike Vick for some reason beyond belief. And This uh, college absolutely despised a quarterback that wanted to run. And so he kind of had it out for me and told me, hey, uh, I don't like the way you throw the football, but if you want to work hard and get better, you're going to have to quit baseball because you have a lot of work to do. And if I were to go back to that time, I would have gone out as a safety instead of a quarterback because... I was the safety in high school also, but I am much better safety than I would be a quarterback. And um, then there couldn't have been that argument. And I might've actually stuck with football instead of baseball. But nonetheless, when you look at sports as a whole, I tell people like this, playing multiple sports is extremely beneficial, not only to get you out of the, you know, the long grind of playing one sport for, the entire year which gets tedious beyond belief even if they're paying you yeah. but it also teaches you things in one sport that help you in another so like lateral movement in football or uh, high-hand coordination eye-hand coordination in basketball all those come into play in all sports in baseball they they all work together you learn how to use your body in motion in those other sports and it helps you in your current sport
2: yeah, and I think that's, I
0: think you hit that pretty, hit that nail on with the hammer pretty well there, because honestly, you see a lot where it, it like you said, the, the handout coordination, the just the staying in shape, things like that.
1: And in honesty, what it comes down to is a lack of education. Um, all it is is that people believe that, oh, well, I have to do this because this person is telling me that this is the only way I can do it. Or this person is telling me this, like my coach is telling me, hey, you have to play baseball, you have to play fall ball, you have to play summer ball, you have to play regular season. This is what you have to do to make it. That coach is full of shit. You absolutely do not have to do that. Like not, not by any stretch of imagination. I literally played four sports. Yeah. So No. Not at all. You do have to be better than everybody else. Yes, that's absolutely true. You know, like you do have to work hard at everything you do to do. That's absolutely true. But there are some things like I've even talked to coaches over the years that are part of the developmental process. And it's like, hey, if you had to pick one sport that if you heard, hey, this guy was this, you're like, oh, that guy's hard. Like, we're not going to have a problem with that guy. Usually it's wrestling. If somebody was a wrestler you realize that they know how to grind. You realize that they know what hard work is and you're not going to have a problem saying, hey, you know, we got 10 poles today. Oh, man, we have 10 poles. It's like, dude, shut up and go get it done. You'll never hear that from that kid. You know, like, he'll be a hard worker no matter what.
0: Yeah, from, from my baseball days, I always hated running poles, but I always tried to just knock them out.
1: Yep. For me, running is very easy. So, it, you know, obviously, and that, that's the really weird thing, too, when it comes to conditioning as a group, is for some reason, everybody thinks you have to run together. And that's definitely not the case. Because me jogging with the rest of the group is putting zero effort into what it is I'm doing. Yep. But somebody running, sprinting a pole versus jogging at their pace could come could be detrimental detrimental to them if they just don't stick to their pace your pace is x you can't go any faster man you're going to hurt yourself stick to your pace whatever that is whether it's a little slower whether it's faster there's a reason why they have you do it as a group because it pushes some and it you know it's supposed to push them all but it doesn't so you got to run at your pace no matter what you do
2: rona i
0: don't think you're Trying to pick your brain here a little
1: bit more.
0: So, where was your favorite place to play or favorite stadium, I should say, in the minors and in the majors?
1: In the minors, all the fields suck. There, there, there isn't a field that's like, oh man, it's an amazing field. No, they all suck. Now, with that being said, I did go back to Charlotte after they finally moved downtown, and it was by far better than the the, uh, the night the old night stadium. Like that one was a better stadium, absolutely for sure. But I mean, it, it would be something as simple as locker room or bullpen or just the facility itself. The stadium for fans, usually pretty decent when you get to AAA double a low a they're usually horrific but in terms of like us playing field surface all that kind of stuff they're all terrible uh but if i had to choose one i would say i forgot what some of the uh the salt lake stadiums look like to be honest but i would say probably something like sacramento yeah because at night, you get that nice, cool breeze. You're never, you're never too hot like you are in some of the southern places. Mobile, Alabama is the first place where I ever ran from the bus to the locker room. And I got hit by raindrops that were about this big, like kettlebell big. You know, like I'm running and it felt like I jumped in a swimming pool. And I'm like, dude, what is this? And they're like, welcome to the south, man. You know, like some of those places, oh, you go to this, the Floridas during the summer, awful, horrific. I mean, but you go to the West Coast, you get that nice, cool breeze at night, and it's kind of nice.
0: I figured West Coast might have been more of your more of your answer, because I know you, you you had a little run-through with Sacramento. You know, I know you had a little stand with the giant system, playing with yeah. Las Vegas. uh
1: I don't know if there's anybody else I'm missing. Um, I'm sure there's some somewhere. Um, but no, uh, in terms of Major League Stadium, it was always nice just being back in California and being back home. Uh, all the stadiums are – oh, that's not true. Most of the stadiums are nice when it comes to Major Leagues, uh, the Major League Stadiums. They, they make them all nice. There are a handful that are still horrific. But for some reason, people like them, like yeah. uh, Boston – terrible like the entire dugout is made for very very small people there is no space there's no nothing it's the playing surface is kind of you know it is what it is it's just a historic land instead of a renovated top-of-the-line stadium like most places uh cubs field you know wrigley field Looks really nice from the outside. People enjoy it, you know, the historic aspect of it. And you go in the clubhouse and you're like, dude, how is this possible? We have guys sharing lockers in the major leagues. Like this isn't, this isn't functional, man. Like that's not the way it should be. But the company on the West coast, you know, we'll see my family, um, summers on the West. Seattle is surprisingly beautiful during the summer, like epic. Like you sit there and you're like, wow. Denver, amazing, terrible to pitch in, but amazing field. Write that down. 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 hmm? What?
0: The air is thick in Denver, like the humidity, because if you try to throw an off-speed
1: pitch, it's going to sit there. Yeah, 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 yeah. but it's just because it's thin. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, because it's thin air, the ball travels about seven feet per thousand feet you're up. Seven extra feet. Now, that doesn't sound like much until you realize that that actually means the ball is flying 35 yeah. feet further because you're playing in Denver. And you're like, oh, well, in this day and age with the juice baseball, that's home runs. That's all that is.
0: Yeah. And I mean, my personal experience, I pitched it up at the uh, at a college named Appalachian State up in the mountains up in North Carolina. That That air was thin. And I got a pitch in a few things, in a few events up there. The catcher would call a curve I'm like, nope, I'm not throwing it. Because there's this dude who he took two pitchers deep, his last two at bats, and then I'm up trying to get this guy out. And I'm just thinking, I'm thinking, there's no way you tell me to throw a curveball. Threw him a cutter inside, the old CT classic, got him to pop up. It's all good.
1: Yeah, I mean, cutters actually work really well there's one guy jerry's familia the the funniest part was is the year before he became who he is now he had control problems mm-hmm. and it was just because his ball moved too much like it's, it's it sounds like first world problems but it really was a problem because he throw a two seam and it would just move out of the zone where he was lights out unhittable king of the mountain was Colorado, because his ball would move much less, which would make it a nasty pitch versus an unhittable, uncatchable pitch. Yeah. So just kind of
0: keep the flow going here. Looking back when you got called up in 09, you, got, you, get, you were called up to fill in for uh, John Danks, Jordan's brother. Well, do you remember, you know, having that conversation with Chris Chandler, just saying, hey, you're
1: going to the bigs? It was actually because Bartolo Colon disappeared.
0: I forgot about that.
1: Uh, and I, I, he was my teammate years later, and I was telling him the story, and he's like, oh, well, you're welcome, man. <laughs> I was like, hey, bro, where did you go? Because we had piggybacked the game in AAA. He started it because he's a big league guy on rehab, and then yeah. I finished off the last uh, five innings. And so he went up, and nobody could find him so on espn the line was where uh, where is bartolo like that's that's what the prompt was on espn and he's like dude nobody told me what to do nobody sent me a flight itinerary nobody sent me anything so i just went back home what he just went back home and he was chilling until somebody called him and then nobody could get a hold of him nobody could find him and then finally after i started thank goodness they got a hold of them and told them to come back and flew them back out. But that, that ended up being a very, very interesting um, dilemma because my second day in the big leagues was Mark Burley's perfect game. Yep. And so they had already told me, hey, you know, like you threw yesterday, you're going back to AAA. You know, like after this game, we're going on the road, you're taking this flight back home. Uh, to charlotte and i was say like, hey listen like does that mean i can stay for the game but yeah sure you know just go sit on sit on the bench so i just sat on the top top step and uh just watched the game wanted to sit there and enjoy a game and it ended up being this perfect game with probably the best catch ever in the history of catches by dwayne wise by dwayne wise yep to this day there's no way that anyone can convince me there's a better catch um, it's just not possible
0: I still remember watching that catch. I was thinking, I, I don't know how, because you remember he went full speed to make that catch. Because any other outfield, I feel like, could have probably bottled that ball and you know, and they're off and running.
1: Well, Wise, Wise had an amazing ability, and not very many outfielders have this. He could play very shallow. I remember in spring training, there was a game I was pitching in, and a ball just got laced you know, in the center field, and I see him And he was really close up. And I was like, oh, well, looks like that's a double. I'm going to go back up third base. And he tracked it down because he's one of the very few guys who, when he turns his head and runs, he's running to the direction where he knows the ball is going to be. So he can actually duck his head and run full speed instead of having to stare back and run. And it slows you down tremendously when you do that. He ducks his head, runs, and then he can pick the ball back up real easily. So he would—he had already ducked his head, turned around, started sprinting to the wall, picked it up, and already knew where the wall was, already knew where everything was. So when he jumped up to rob the home run, he knew exactly where it was. He wasn't feeling for a wall or scared.
0: That is is—that is honestly something you hardly see now with a lot of outfielders. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe Trout, you know, I know he made that good catch
1: against J.J. Hardy
0: in 2012.
1: Uh, I mean, Trout's Trout's on a completely different level. We can't even can't yeah. even compare outfielders to Trout. He, he is by far the best player in the I'm, game.
0: I'm not compare to kind of like, I don't know of anybody. But yeah.
1: No, it, it's a very hard trait. The uh, only person I associate with Wise's ability, just in the reverse, was Andrew Jones. He would play so far back. Well, actually, he wouldn't necessarily play that far back, but he would. Come forward to get the ball so well because he had confidence in the fact that he could go get it if he needed to. Yeah. So everyone knows him for coming forward to take away the ball, but that's also because he was playing closer because he could turn around, run, go get it. But why the I have yet to see somebody whose ability to track down a ball compared to Dwayne to Dwayne Wise's. The issue is in, in Major League Baseball, nobody cares. It all comes down to hitting, and unfortunately, he didn't play when the juice ball was around. Otherwise, he could have hit a lot more home runs.
0: And yeah, I feel like Andrew kind of gets snubbed a lot with the. I know the Hall of Fame ballots are out now, and he's on there still. I'd like to see Andrew get in there, but I doubt it, just because there's a lot of the reporters
1: they're they're doing
0: blank ballots. That's what blows my mind.
1: Well, you got to keep in mind the Hall of Fame isn't owned by Major League Baseball.
0: Right. I mean, I remember you, I think you said this somewhere. It's mainly the yeah. reporters.
1: That no, 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 no. They actually own it. Are they? It's the owners. Like, it's their asset. They own everything that's in there. It's the, the writers own the entire uh, Hall of Fame. So when, when you're talking about, like, I can't believe these reporters, are doing it, it's theirs. Yeah. They can do whatever they want. Just like Twitter They're kicks sure. people off the, uh, the internet and Instagram kicks people off. If the reporters don't want to add the best hitter in the history of the game, no matter what your opinion is, nobody has ever been better than Barry Bonds. If you still want to exclude him, go right ahead. It's, It's your thing. You can do it. But if you lived during an era in which Barry Bonds was a hitter, he was by far the best hitter of all time. Just like Mariano Rivera was the best closer, of all time obviously the difference is is that the allegations of Barry Bonds cheating is not the stand-up human being that Mariano Rivera is and that's the reason why he got 100 but his dominance as a closer is absolutely equal to Barry Bonds dominance as a hitter and it is embarrassing that people are just like oh no he's not he's not he doesn't deserve you know Listen, if it's just on on how good of a player you were, he should be on top of that entire thing. Obviously, he didn't transcend the game. He didn't break uh, the color barrier. He didn't do a lot of those things that uh, put people in a different um, level than he is. But just as an athlete, hitter, uh, base stealer, his numbers are ridiculous and uncomparable to anybody else.
0: One guy I do feel like will, will get in this year, for, for I do believe he's on the ballot this year, is Big Poppy, David Ortiz. I do feel like Poppy gets in. But like I, don't, I don't think, I don't know about anybody else, because there's been guys like the Bonds, the Roger Clemens, I'm sitting there thinking, all right, they're going to get in eventually, and they have he knows.
1: Well, that, that brings up an interesting thing, too, because I'm pretty sure there's allegations for Big Poppy as well. And the, the biggest argument for him is that he never played a position. Yeah. I've actually seen him play first base when he came to New York. And there's a reason why he didn't play a position. Like, he, he, no, it doesn't work. But, I mean, Edgar, Edgar Martinez? Edgar Martinez? Seattle? Yeah. I mean, he made it in, and obviously he was really, really good, and Big Bobby was really, really good as a hitter, absolutely.
0: To give Edgar Martinez some credit. He did play third base back
1: when yeah. before
0: the 48 caught up with him.
1: Definitely, definitely true. And He actually played a position. You are correct. But the, to be a Hall of Fame caliber player, he did not play a position accurate, uh, effectively enough. Yeah. But nonetheless, again, we go back to the same thing they already entered in 1DH. If they want to enter another one, Big Papi's a great, a, a great one. You know, he was a very good hitter. Uh, a- absolutely dominant. Uh, Barry Bonds level, not even close. And the funniest part is, is Barry Bonds didn't play in the juice ball era. If Barry Bonds played now, he would literally kill people if he hit them with a baseball. Because his, his ability to hit that ball is just so ridiculous it, it, he's on a completely different level now you don't want to add him in that's your job you know that's that, that's yeah. your business you, you don't have to do whatever you want you know big poppy has uh pd allegations as well so are um, you going to let him in and then just not let any of the other guys even guys that have no history of allegations but just hearsay says that they did again we come back to the same thing the writers own it they can do whatever they want
0: CT, another thing I want to pick your brain about was in 09, you threw a five-inning rain-shortened perfect game against Pawtucket. Yep. So, when did you, when did you realize, you know, hey, I, when did they tell you, like, hey, it's a perfect game, it's in the history books. And so, it's kind of what's, what's it like being a part of history, you know, as far as the Charlotte organization goes, minor league baseball, you know, you're part of something.
1: And in the, the, interest. the interesting thing was, was obviously my second day in the big leagues was Mark Burley's perfect game. And I had a buddy on the team Clayton Richard. And he was like, hey, go up to him and say, hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> 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 because I had the five inning perfect game earlier. Ah, like, oh, bro, I'm not doing that. And I actually told the reporters when they had asked me, like, hey, you know, what's it like? I'm like, it's a glitch in the matrix. It's yeah. only five innings. It is a perfect game, but... I'll take it. It goes down. It goes down on the resume, you know, check. But um, the more interesting part that I found was the last person to throw, it was either no hitter or perfect game. I can't remember which. And it was also shortened. It was only a seven inning perfect game. Was Mario Rivera when he was a starter. So the last person to do that at Paul Tuckett was him. And then it was me. So that was it. Yeah, that was a cool little thing. I like that's the matrix right there. Yeah, but I mean, rain shortened. The funniest part is it was pouring down rain in that fifth inning, yeah. And you could tell the umpires were like, We got to keep playing it, man. But right after five, they're like, "Up, oh, we're done, you know. And I actually thought there was still a chance we we're gonna continue, and so I was throwing in the, in the tunnel and I was on the bike, I was trying to stay warm. And uh, Richard Dotson. <laughs> to his credit the guy's so funny he comes to me after he's like Carlos you know if we go back out there I gotta, I gotta stop you and you're like, oh, no no let me he's like listen man there's a reason why I've been letting you jump on the, on the bicycle and do all that stuff for the last hour and it's because we knew we weren't gonna let you do this <laughs> we just wanted you to waste a lot of energy just in case you got upset <laughs> and so I just started laughing at him I was like ah oh, bro you're, you're tripping dude. but he's a good guy
0: I think Todd was definitely a – he definitely made a lot of pictures. I feel like, in his time with the Sox organization, especially at Charlotte. You know, guys like you, uh, Chris Sale. I know Sale came through
1: right after in
0: 2010.
1: Well, let, let's just get it straight, bro. Chris Sale didn't need any help. Daniel Hudson didn't need any help. Those guys were – those guys were always good. But there, there is something to say because the – the resume of guys that I've listed over the years there, it goes down to a lot of people in the organization helped guys play that ended up pushing them to be better. Even if they went to another team. Yeah. Like uh, one, one of my favorite pitching coaches, uh, Jr. Perdue. J.R. Purdue was my pitching coach for a few years in the lower levels, helped me develop tremendously as a pitcher going forward. And then it was backed up by Dotson who just sat there and picked up right where he left off and helped us climb even more. Yeah. So it was almost like a great, great platform. In the very beginning, I remember when they turned uh, uh, Boone Logan from a failed starter to a drop down lefty guy, and he made the big leagues club that spring training. He never broke uh, left rookie ball, and, and Haas had done that. Uh, Haas had dropped him down. Haas and uh, J.R. Purdue dropped him down versus keeping him high up and that itself changed the ball game and he played 12 15 years in the big leagues after that all thanks to those coaches who the organization was literally going to release him the same day later on the afternoon that they dropped him down they're like dude we got no other options hey boom they're gonna release you this afternoon let's try dropping you down oh this might work a couple guys come over from big league camp jim Tome. Uh, somebody else, like, hey, we need a lefty. We need to stay lefty. Throw a couple pitches. Hold on. Who's this guy? Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till tomorrow to release him, you know? Next day, he comes back. They drop down. A couple more guys come over from the big league side. Next thing you know, the next week, his stuff's in the big league side and he'd be broke with the big league club. So things like that happen with with good coaches that are in the organization. And Dotson, Purdue, Haas, uh, all all of them seem to have worked together to help develop players going forward. Now, yeah. obviously there are some guys that don't really need that much help. Chris Sale was 98 miles an hour, you know, like, ah, like we can help you a little bit, man, but we're not gonna be able to help you too much. You know, like yeah. he had a lot of his stuff, but other guys, oh my goodness. Like they were failed starters, ended up dominant relievers, failed relievers, ended up dominant starters, um, leave to go to another organization. The, End up taking over the lessons that you learn from the White Sox organization. You dominate, like uh, Gio Gonzalez. Gio Gonzalez only pitched a handful of games for the White Sox, but he played 11 years in the big leagues. Yeah. All because the coaching helped him out, helped develop him, and obviously he's really good. So (laughs) that usually helps out too.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, you and Gio
1: were in the same
0: rookie class, if I'm not mistaken. He was my
1: first roommate. Literally my first roommate in Pro Bowl.
0: He always gave the Braves a fit whenever I was watching them with the Nationals. And I want to come back to this, and come back to this one question here in a minute. So between '09 and 2010, you know, you're back and forth between Chicago, Charlotte and Chicago. Later in that 2010 offseason, you decide to take, just kind of take that risk and go into play over with the, you were more of Giants, I think, in Japan. Yeah. No, yeah. those
1: after the nine or ten season, ten. kind of which. What? What? What?
0: Uh, looking back, what kind of just want, what what was your thoughts like? What wanted you? What did you want
1: to do when you went over there? Like what made you want to go play in Japan? It was more money than I'd ever make, than I ever thought I'd make in my life.
0: And I've always heard that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's not, you got to understand, like, there's a cap when it comes to Japan. You can't make any more than this. But it is not minor league money. It's more money than minor league money. It's not. You can make more money than rookies make in major leagues. Absolutely true. And I tell people this all the time. If you have a chance to go to Japan, go. There are some lessons you need to learn, some things you need to put in your contract, but absolutely go. At worst, you can come back and which I did, but there's a cap to how much money you can make, but it's definitely more than you make as a rookie. So you, you go up and you're up and down guy for your three options and then they either lose you or they keep you up and you still haven't had one year of major league service time yet. So you still have to get to three years of major league service time. This is part of the issue we're having with the CBA is they intentionally do this to players and essentially do this to people, to keep them away from Super 2 and to prevent them from getting a contract. Just like college athletes now, today, are millionaires. Just like some of the guys from Cuba made millions of dollars the second they stepped foot in the United States, the only reason why they have a modern-day draft, the only reason why it exists is to prevent players from actually getting paid what they're worth. It gives clubs control over you for 13 years where they don't have to pay you squat, but can benefit off of you. And then after those 13 years, it's like, well, do we actually want to pay them money? Or do we want to just let them go to somewhere else? So they monopolize your time. If they got rid of the draft period, which would be ideal, everybody would sign a free agent contract. So from day one, you're not making league minimum. You're not worrying about super two. Every team is trying to win and they have to go get the best players. It's all there is to it, and people actually get paid. So when I left to go to Japan, I knew that I would never make that money going up and down in the big leagues like I had been doing. I wasn't making Japan money. And there's obviously a more opportunity to play in Japan if, if they liked me, if they accepted me and all the above. But it also got me out of the White Sox organization because at the time, the White Sox didn't know what to do with me. I was a starter, but I could throw every day. So I'd start games when I came up and down, but during September, they just throw me in the bullpen, you know? So it's like, well, what do we want to do with them? Is he a start? Is he a bullpen guy? We don't know. Uh, they didn't like young guys to begin with. Um, just think about, I mean, they traded away Gio Gonzalez twice and Gio Gonzalez is a very good pitcher and was back then also. So like they liked older players. They liked um, uh, older guys in the role of the starter and it worked, you know, like they were really good. But I was stuck in the limbo. And so going to Japan got me out of limbo.
2: Was
0: there anything that stood out to you? Like any favorite
1: memories anything? Well, I survived the earthquake, tsunami, nuclear reactor meltdown, and volcano eruption.
2: I forgot about that. <laughs>
1: yeah. And everyone always wants to forget about the volcano eruption. But I remember running in the outfield and the ashes coming up from the ground. And I told my translator, hey, bro, you need to tell this guy that that's actually bad to breathe. And they're like, oh, don't worry about it. You'll be okay." And you're like, like, no, like, you know, this is actually bad, right? So during that time, though, I have to say that there are some things that the Japanese did that were absolutely like you, you would applaud the things that they did. And then some that you're just like, I don't get it. What on earth are you doing? You know, but it is what it is.
3: I mean, and this next question
0: is kind
1: of, I'm curious. You got to play in both, you know, the,
0: in two countries that, you know, value baseball very high, you know, in Japan and in Mexico. Just what was there, what all, I guess you could say, what was the standout things
1: between the two Uh, countries i guess you could say just from the the amount of love the fans have for the game like just in japan every player has a chant
2: yeah
1: and the entire crowd is chanting the entire time if he goes up to bat it's a whatever his chant is everyone's singing it everyone's cheering everyone's screaming everyone's shouting they're like into the game it's not like a hey, let's kick back, relax, watch this game. We're not really invested in this, you know, like it's just more of a layback atmosphere here in the United States where it's we're going here for leisure, not we're going here because we actually, you know, like scream, shout, chant. Now, obviously, some of that stuff gets tedious, obviously. You're not going to chant every single day. You're not going to try to pump up teammates every single day, so I get it. But the Japanese do it. And in Mexico, Mexicans love their baseball. Scream, shout, yell. But Mexico is slightly different in the fact that they turned the game into a party. Yeah. So it's more of like an attraction to get you there to party. And there happens to be a baseball game in the middle. The World Baseball
0: Classic. I think it was 2017.
1: Oh, horrific, horrific representation by Major League Baseball. Why? We were told before the last game that we had to beat the other team by two. According to the way all the metrics and all the tie-breaking one, they're like, hey, you have to beat this team by two. So we asked them, we sent an email back to Major League Baseball. What? Give us more context. Why is this? Why is that? We asked a bunch of questions. Never responded. They did not care. So we go into the game and we beat them by two. Yeah. Because that's what we were told as Mexico that we had to do. So in our eyes, we were advancing to the next round. And so after the game, major league baseball called our, uh, the Mexico team and told them that they would not be advancing because they were mistaken. You didn't have to win by two. You had to win by three. And we're like, listen, dude, there's a lot of scenarios that came up in the game where we could have walked the bases loaded. And push this into extra, and you guys could not have fielded a team. You guys would have had to have forfeited the entire game because they literally had no pitching. Like legally, according to Major League Baseball's rule for the World Baseball Classic, they could not pitch another inning. Like so, there's a lot of ways we could have done this. We could have sent this guy in advance. We already had two runs, so why were we going to risk running a third guy out, there, running a third guy home when we don't need to because we already have a two-run lead. Let's just see if this guy can knock in the third run instead of taking the risk of him actually having to make the, uh, the tackle. So there's just some scenarios that came up where we would have played it differently if we knew it was by three. And Major League Baseball just said, we don't care. And that's just typically what Major League Baseball does and probably the reason why they haven't had World Baseball Classic some time.
2: Manfred, never.
1: Well, it's people just don't realize that Manfred doesn't work on behalf of major league baseball. He does not care. He does not care about the fans experience with baseball. He doesn't care about what he does to the game that benefits or uh, hinders the game. He does not care about any of that because the people that hire him, his employer, isn't major league baseball. It's the owners. The owners are the ones that hire him and fire him. He does not care about the game. He cares about profits for Major League Baseball. You see in terms of what the game is supposed to be about, all he cares about is that a game is within three hours because on the West Coast, TV teams are losing advertising dollars in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning because the rest of the United States is asleep. So they can speed up the game. They can get more money to those West Coast teams because his employer is telling him to do that. That's the way it is, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about as far as the owners in Manford goes, I feel like
0: the CBA lockout, you know?
3: Which is. <laughs>
0: Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry for that, Didn't brief make sure. folks. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's like I was saying, I feel like with the CBA lockout, we're going to that, that shows you know with Manfred and the owners as far as the the money scheme goes.
1: There's so much more that comes into that, it's unbelievable, bro. I would like to. No, no, no. Like like there's so much more that comes in. Like people can still get upset about baseballs um, uh, walking out on the world series. People are still upset about that. But people don't understand is before that there was no health insurance for players. There was no retirement account. There was no health care. There was no dental care. There was none of that was ever available for players. They only got that by going on strike during the world series. That's the only way they got any of that stuff. So the CBA, the owners are gonna say, well, we don't have an agreement. And because we don't have an agreement and you haven't agreed to what we want you to do, we're gonna stop you from coming to the field because they'll never let players strike during the World Series again. So they will stop players from coming to the field in spring training, even though players wanna be there during spring training. Yeah. They'll lock them out. That's the difference between a lockout and a strike. So the ownership will lock out the players. There's almost no way around it because what they're proposing is so mind-boggling, it's gross. And there's just no way it's going to happen. Like there's no conceivable way to push the owner's agenda without destroying the baseball game. Like some of the things that, that fans want, fans want to see competitive teams. Pittsburgh has spent the better part of the last decade just trying to find some way to field the team that can play, even though they're getting paid sixty-ish million dollars a year just to play in Major League Baseball. As part of the revenue sharing money, they get money just to participate in baseball, and all you, all that money is supposed to be for is to pay for players. So they're getting all this money that they're supposed to be putting into players, and they just pocket it ownership says we're rebuilding we're not going to pay any any free agents we're not going to pay any of our young guys we're just going to rebuild and we're going to pay play with the league minimum guys lose 100 games in a year and who cares. You know like Miami all these teams. It is very hard to lose 100 games in a season. So hard to do it. But two years ago, there was like six teams that lost a hundred games. And you're sitting here like, that's not even mathematically possible. Like what is happening? That's just the way the direction baseball is going because ownership cares more about pocketing money and maximizing their profits than putting a product out there for the fans to cheer for. Listen, we might not win every game. We might not make playoffs, but guess what? I'm getting paid $60 million a year to play baseball, to, to, to feel the team, extra money that Major League Baseball is just giving us as part of revenue sharing money. I'm going to buy actual players and try to put a product out there for you, because I want you fans to come out to this game knowing that you have an owner that is trying for you. And if we happen to back it back into the uh, backside of this, we might try to figure out some way to make a run at the trade deadline. Absolutely possible. Anything could happen.
0: You know, I think the it's kind
1: of, I feel like the most hilarious thing. example. The most hilarious example I've ever heard of the metrics aspect of the game was the Oakland A's. Oh, Moneyball, the movie, the book. People always forget the line about the book where it says, fielding a team on a budget, not winning. And not only that, but the movie never mentions the fact that they had Zito, Hudson, and Mulder, three of the best pitchers in the game at that time. Yeah. But yet, they never mentioned that in the movie. Nobody talks about it. And so Moneyball is used as like, oh, hey, if you use this metric system, you can win a championship. Look Look at the Houston Astros. And then you're like, well, hold on, look at the Houston Astros. Didn't they get caught cheating the entire year? Yeah, you can you can do anything. We know what pitch is coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, and it, it's it's cliche because personally, me, just far as just always building the softball event, as far as just trying to get people to come and things of that nature, it's. It's the, the money, money ball aspect, trying to find people to come show up and try to put on a good event. It's mind-blowing. Yep.
1: For sure. But the, the, the craziest part is, is ownership is doing this yeah. with a backings of billions of dollars.
0: And tons of money, yeah.
1: Tons of money. And they refuse to do it. That's the part that, like, there's always... There's always this weird dynamic where ownership claims X, but the facts are always completely different. There's only one group of people that have ever tried doing what the fans want, and that's the Players Association. The Players Association has been fighting this entire time to make teams more competitive, to get your favorite players to be out there on TV for you and the fans, to make it so your team actually tries to win ballgames Instead of just quitting to make it that you see young talent that is good, but you also need to pay them. You can't just monopolize their entire career and then kick to the curb once you're done or tell them, Hey, we want home runs or strikeouts. We don't care about walks or base hits or singles or ground balls. Don't do any of that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when it comes time to pay your players, they're like, yeah, well, you don't get enough walks. Uh, singles, uh, all that stuff. So we we don't want you. It's like, well, they just did exactly what you wanted them to do. And, so, and, then, and the, the, the here's the here's the funniest part is, after they realize how bad the product is, doing stuff like using metrics to determine a player's worth, does it have a place? Absolutely, a place. Deciding factor? Ridiculously stupid. But what they decided to do instead of, hey, well, the pitchers are so dominant, they're, they're, they're throwing harder than ever. No, they're not. They're throwing just as hard as they ever have. Mm-hmm. The difference is is that all the numbers are skewed, right? All the, the, the major league average is going up. But yeah, so is Walks. That guy that would have been in double A throwing 100 miles an hour is now in the big leagues because some, some guy on the other team is just swinging out of, the, uh, swinging out of his butt at a ball. That he has no point, he shouldn't be swinging at it, but he's such a bad hitter that got pushed to the big leagues because he's league minimum. And a team that quit, that this guy who has a 15 ERA because he walks the house but happens to strike some dudes out is up there also because this team is going to lose 110 games this year. And they don't care who they throw out there because he's league minimum, but he throws 100. So we're going to throw him out there. He's not a pitcher. He just throws the ball up there, and when he runs across guys that just happen to swing at it, well, there you go. So you get bad. You get bad pitching. You get bad hitters. The majority, obviously, you have the, the excellence in between, the DeGroms and all these people in between that are, are on the ends that are so good, but the middle is just so bad that Major League Baseball's only solution, let's just juice the baseball so that as soon as somebody hits a pop-up, it's a home run. Yeah. And they did it successfully.
0: Uh, unfortunately, successfully, I should say.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it was just funny because people always ask, like, hey, you know, launch angle. Like, how do you like launch angles? Like, launch angle has always been a thing. It's always existed in all of baseball. You go down to Little League, launch angle exists. It's just the angle at which the ball comes off your bat. Yeah. If you think you can do that, you're stupid. But... <laughs> Those people, people that hit pop flies always existed. They were just pop fly outs. And now with the juice baseball, they're home runs. Yeah. So those guys that were in AAA for 100 years uh, that only hit pop flies, we never hit home runs and didn't hit ball on the ground. Now, those guys aren't out of baseball. They're in the major leagues. All? Absolutely not. There are obviously some really good players too. There's yeah. obviously... There's obviously the, the, the Mike Trout and the uh the, Center guards, the Groms of the world. Like, obviously, those guys exist. So I'm just talking about the, the group in the middle. Yeah. The middle has changed from let's try to hit 300 and let's throw strikes to we don't care if you walk the entire world as long as you strike some out every now and again and try to hit a home run. Who cares about ground balls, getting on base, taking walks, stealing bags? And now their solution is, we have no more base dealers because we've emphasized don't steal. So what yeah. we're doing now is make sure that lefties can't pick people off. It's like, come on, bro. That's ridiculously stupid.
0: It's, it's mind-blowing to see how the game has changed, you know, as you know, from a fan's experience growing up and playing-wise to, you know, like watching you as a fan. It's It's definitely – there, there's no, as far as the owners go, I feel like there's no satisfactory point because it's, it's, it's kind of like psychology, I would feel like. Like one minute like, you're asking for this and then like the next year it's like, well, we don't, you didn't do this. Like you said. Well, it's,
1: it's very easily summed up. It's very easy to understand once you understand the one concept is they want to get, they want to make money off of you and not pay you money. So for your three years of service time, whether that be five or six years, that they can take that three years, because every day counts towards your service time, not year, every day. So when you go up and down, you get two days here, then you go back down three days here, go back down. But that's still only one option. You have to get rid of three options before you can't go up and down before you get you move. So they're saying we already quit on the season. We want you to hit home runs. We don't care if you strike out because after three years of using you, making money off of you, pretending like you're a product and a future, if you don't develop into something better, that's okay. We'll just get rid of you and say, oh, well, we can't pay you because you don't get on base. You don't steal bags. You only hit for average. So it's a win-win in their eyes, but it's an absolute devaluing of a product for the fans. The fans don't get the hitters that are hitting 300, that are out there every day, that spend 10 years in their organization, that are, are fan-friendly, fan all the above. They don't get any of that because guys are up, down, and out so quick yeah. because they don't develop based on what their organization wants them to do. And so the only people that suffer are those players, but arguably they might not have gotten a chance otherwise because they might not have been good enough. And the number one that, that, that suffers, the fan. Yeah, Some of these teams have to cheer for teams that you know aren't going to win anything for the next five to seven years unless they change some of these things in the CBA. They absolutely... Ownership needs to change some of these things if they want to put a better product out there for the fans. Problem is they probably don't.
0: Yeah. I, I, I... I feel like I kind
1: of have to agree with you on that. Yeah. And it's it sad to see every single day when you're out there, like, man, you guys literally, they don't care about those aspects of things for the fans. And it really is a bummer to see because players, like we're usually on the side of the fans.
2: Yeah.
1: And if there's anything that the fans have that's on their mind, players usually have it on their mind too. hmm like they, they want to feel good teams. They don't want to lose. Nobody wants to lose hundred games. Nobody likes losing hundred games. That's just the way it is. It, it's, it's embarrassing to have that feeling of losing. Winning is the only thing that players ever want to do. They mm-hmm. don't have, they don't have people that can win it is a miserable experience for players. So players always want to win. It's just fans always want players to win. Fans want to cheer on their team. Uh, left, right, every single year, and all the above. They want to cheer on their team. The only one that doesn't, owners, because they just want to make money. It's unfortunate.
0: So I, I want to circle back to one of the things where you talk about you know, guys throwing 100, and they're, they're basically you know teams throwing because they swing swinging the mess out of their shoes. Honestly, you've known me long enough. I'm a Braves guy at heart. But, you know, and wherever you wherever you pitched, I followed you. I tried to keep up with you. And, I mean, hey, you fit, you were with the Mets. I cheered for the Mets whenever you came to play against the Braves. It was awkward, but I did it. And so my question <sighs> is this, you know, being with Colorado, New York, and Milwaukee, just because I, I've witnessed to witnessed have these three teams, whenever you pitched against the Braves, it seemed like you always had – Just the team in general's number. Like you always performed at a well, uh, you know, you always had a well performance against the Braves. Because I was like, you know, last night when we were setting up this, you know, the the recording, I just dug around just some of your old highlight films and, you know, you're carving up Freddie Freeman, you're getting Jason Hayward to fly out, you got Chipper Jones, a Hall of Famer, to, you know, pop up. So, and the question is this, who were who a few guys looking back at your time that you, you felt like you had their number and was there anybody that felt like, you know, they had your number by chance?
1: It, it's, it's so much easier to explain, but it's so hard for people to understand. I threw a cutter. And for people that don't know, When a four-seam is spinning this way, um, uh, I guess it'd be north-south, directly backwards, you can't see a spin on the ball, but it's a four-seam fastball. A slider, you see a dot on the very front of the ball when you're a hitter. Mm -hmm. A cutter is in between a four-seam and a slider. So it's just an offset fastball. Yeah. So as long as you actually throw a fastball, and that's where people get into trouble is when they try manipulating their fingers and pressure here and pressure there, it's never a true cutter. It might be a good slider, it might be a decent slider, who knows, but it's never a true cutter because it's not going hard enough. My cutter, I threw maybe a mile an hour, two, sometimes just as hard as my fastball. So the issue wasn't so much who I owned, Freddie Freeman, for example, I remember seeing him in the lower levels in in AAA when Hayward first came up, and everyone's like, "Oh, this Hayward guy, he's the best, he's the best," you know. And Hayward, to his credit, was really good when he came up. And uh, my buddies were would rave about him, like, "Stop, listen, dude, there's this Freddie Freeman guy. You'll see him in a year or two. He is the best hitter in this organization." And you will see when he gets here. Like it's embarrassing how good of a hitter he was because he had the ability to see a ball and hit a ball. There's there's some guys that swing to an area, a space. I think the curveball is coming here. So I think I'm going to swing there. Like think about a pitcher swinging the bat in a major league baseball game. He's not pinpoint precise at exactly where the ball is going to hit in the middle of the barrel. Freddie Freeman is. He knows that ball is coming here, so he's putting the barrel on the ball. And more often than not, he hits the ball on the barrel. He's a really good hitter. That's why he's back a career 300 and change. and He's really good. He also stands on the dish. He cannot see a cutter. It's physically impossible. Because he knows exactly where the ball should go, he just lacked the ability to hit it effectively and consistently because it just moved too late now when i played teams like uh, the nationals the issue was is a lot of their lefties could not see the cutter and some of them some guys are actual just anything inside i'm auto hacking at it because if it's inside it's usually a passball so i'm just going to swing not saying that that's what the atlanta players were but some guys do that. So they stand on top of the dish so that the outside corner is now the middle of the plate. The middle of the plate is now inside, daring you to throw it even further in. So their mentality when they're, when they're batting as a lefty is that if it comes here, I'm just going to pull my hands in and rip because it's most likely going to be a fastball. With me throwing the cutter, it's just like, oh, okay. Like, uh, thank you because I would throw it in there. I, w- I could tell them it was coming in there and they just struggled to hit it on the barrel because it was moving too late. And the people that gave me the, the hardest time with stuff like that are righties. Righties with long with long swings because my cutter was very flat. It wasn't as much two plane as it was straight across. So a righty that was a two plane hitter would just be, or that was a long bat swing, would just be so long that it would just fall in line with my cutter. So My cutter would almost track the barrel. And so kind those of, guys became a problem. Kind of like
0: a, I'm trying to think of a good comparison. Like a, I would say Dan Nova, but I remember the one time he pitched against I but he struck him out. More, I would say more like a Ryan Zimmerman type of swing is what you're saying?
1: Well, Zimmerman always gave me a hard time because his was very long, absolutely. But he was so good at just making contact. So I might throw a cutter that was on the outside plate, And he stands so far off the dish that I would throw one on the outside to go off. And his bat was so long that he would eventually be able to hit it somewhere along there. And it just drop in. He didn't always crush it. Don't get me wrong. He definitely crushed some. But if he didn't crush it, it was a bloop somewhere. And it happened to fall in front of an outfield. And you're just sitting there like, dude, it's man. Come on, man. Like, What's happening, dude? Like, if you hit it, any, any any better of a hit that doesn't go over the fence is an out because an outfielder has it. So if a guy has opposite field power, for me, it was a harder thing because my pitch, I want them to hit the opposite. Yeah. If they want to pull it, I love throwing against guys that wanted to pull balls because the only pitch they'd hit off me was a mistake
0: kind of like a Dan Uggla, sort, so to speak.
1: I mean, I had tremendous success against Ugla, but there was one hit, one hit? Dude, there was, there was one time in spring training, by the way. Ugla. Two stories about Uggla real quick. Once, I hit him twice in a ball game, and I, 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 there was a play where I had to go back up first base, and I was over there, I was like, hey, bro, I'm sorry, dog. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not My balls are slipping on my hand, you know, like I was like, listen, dude, my my bad, dog. I'm not trying to hit you up Oh, I know you're not, dude. (laughs) Like like, the the way we battle, like, I know you're not trying to hit me because you have a good chance getting me out. You know, I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then in spring training one day, I made an enormous mistake. It didn't start middle and go away. It accidentally started far in, ended up deep in, and he just pulls his hands in and rips it right over the dugout and it hit a kid oh no and and you're just like dude the mlbpa had been asking for years years ever since i've been in the league we've been begging ownership to put nets over the uh, dugouts they wouldn't now with the juice baseball they had to go figure uh the the liability with balls going into the stands after you lied about the dangers is problematic to say the least but he Hit a kid, and we're both like, Oh man, you know, crowds form. We're hoping the kids are right. And uh, the umpire's like, Hey, like, get in the box, man, let's go. And I goes like, Hey, we're not moving, man. You calm down, you know what I mean? Like, relax. It's a yeah. training game. A kid just got hit. We're gonna make sure that kid's all right. And we did, you know, like, Ugla. From what uh, my experience with him, tremendous human being. Like he was a really cool dude. I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed competing against him. And in his younger days, when luckily I was not there, monster. Monster. Everything. You throw a breaking ball in the zone, he'd knock it very far. And it was impressive to watch sometimes.
0: He, he's the guy I have wished about having in the softball event, just because I know he could probably have softball, God knows how far. <laughs> For sure but uh,
1: atlanta i mean always had really good hitters always really good average hitters uh hitters for average and then had some guys with pop and no average obviously you know like <laughs> but uh they had a good mix of players and they just for some reason couldn't put it together with either pitching or bullpen or all all around for 162 games every year and they just i mean this year, they've been they've been doing really well since they moved into the new stadium. And this year, managed to keep it all together and obviously uh, won it.
0: As a Braves fan, I was honestly skeptical when Acuna Jr. got hurt. I'm thinking, okay, we'll just, if we make the playoffs, it's fine. Just come back next year. And next thing you know, we're clicking, or well, I say we're, the team is clicking with Jack Peterson, Duval, Adam Duval, and uh, Eddie Rosario, I, I feel like you probably faced Rosario sometime along all of them.
1: All I, I, Rosario, I believe, was Jack. from the White Sox organization. Really, like years ago, he was in the minor leagues. Like I, I've I've known him for many years, but um, nonetheless, like what, what, what fans don't understand is they associate a team success with one player. It is never one player.
0: Right. And, and in my opinion, it was just my opinion. I wasn't. I mean, I've never tried to associate the one player because I knew the Braves have, have the players to win. It's just nothing would just seem to click until, you know, leading up to the Acuna injury. And next thing you know, we're calling away to win the division.
1: Yep. But that's just that's just the thing about baseball. Is that's the that's the one thing and the one reason why I'd actually prefer major league baseball getting rid of the soft cap as well. But there is no salary cap in baseball. There's a luxury tax, which I think they should get rid of because it's just a way for teams to claim that they don't they're not participating just for the fun of it. But the reason that you can't there, there's no there's no point to have a salary cap in baseball. You cannot buy a team. It's not possible. You can buy wins in the regular season. Sure, yeah. you can make that argument, but you can't buy a championship. You can throw teams have been throwing money at championships for years. If that was the case, the Yankees would win every single year. They were paying out more money than everybody else, but they didn't. And they still have a tremendous team they're paying a lot of money to, a lot of really good players, still not winning it. Yeah, you go to all the teams that spend lots of money on players, the Dodgers finally won one after years of being by far one of the best teams in national league it was embarrassing how good they are or how good they were and you, you sit there and you're like is that really your team like think about this year they got scherzer at the break one of the best pitchers in the game at the break
2: they and got
1: enable and, and and had him in the bullpen they have a uh, trey turner and you're like dude how is this team going to get beat easy you cannot buy a team that's just the way it is not in baseball. And so it doesn't matter how much money you spend, that it does not determine success. Now, the, the on the other hand, you can absolutely not pay any players and lose. Yeah. There have been teams that have been doing that for eons. You know, like we don't want to pay any players and we lose 100 games in a year. Yeah, go figure. Congratulations. There are very few teams that don't try and win. It's not. Not conceivable. It's
0: definitely mind blowing, nonetheless. So, one of the, you said a comment earlier about pitchers hitting, and this is a memory I do recall of you. you. When you went, you came back to the US, you signed with the Colorado Rockies in 2012. One of the things I still remember to this day, you actually got to pitch in San Francisco against the Giants back in familiar territory, I should say. And you ended up getting I, what I do believe was your first ever hit in the big leagues. So just between you know coming back to pitch again, you, you know, in some familiar territory, probably got family and friends watching to and to getting that first big league hit. What, what was that like? Just kind of coming back to some old familiar territory, just experiencing
1: nothing big, bro. <laughs> Like, you, you got to keep in mind, by that time, people always mention things like noise, right? Like, people go to stadiums now, people that have never experienced stadiums go to stadiums, they're like, dude, how do you, how do you uh, play and you know, all that noise? How do you compete with all those fans? It's like, dude, you guys are all just background noise. Yeah. That's all it is. It's just like you, you put in your earbuds with no music, that same sound you hear is the exact same sound everybody makes because you've gone through college, You've gone through playoffs in the minor leagues. You've gone through minor league stadiums and you progressively get more and more fans as you go up, obviously your first couple of days, you're kind of jacked. But after that, everything else just becomes background noise. Yeah. And so it's just like, Oh, well, that's just whatever, you know, like you don't really think anything of it. My first hit, um, I've had hits in major league baseball where when I was running to first base, I ran all the way through first base to make sure I was safe. And the ball went in the outfield. <laughs> you know, like I could have rounded the bag, but I didn't know. So I just automatically ran through the bag. Oh, well, it was a single anyways. You know, like I absolutely did that a couple of times just because I wanted to make sure to get one. But as you get up and you start hitting more and more, it just becomes the same thing every day.
0: Well, the surprising thing to me was this. I think when that when the clip came out with that first big league hit, I kind of just sat there. I was like. This dude knows how to swing the bat, after all.
1: Well, you got to keep in mind, I played four sports in high school. Oh yeah, I,
0: I, just, I just when
1: when I went to college, my sophomore year, I was literally the DH and closer.
0: Now that's, so that's, that's a role right there,
1: dude. That was that. Was, uh, there was two games that became very interesting where I had to actually close out a ball game, but I was up to bat. Oh no, it was really quite fascinating to be honest. But actually, DH in college. So the issue was, is that when I got in the White Sox organization, they consciously made sure that we never swung the bat.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that was the thing too, just being knowing you were first meeting you with the White Sox organization, not knowing the DHing and that from your younger days, I just, I was, for some reason, I just never could have pictured like, you know, as, as I, you know, grew, it's like, I, I couldn't believe Carlos got his base I'm like I was thrilled, but then yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. When did he start swinging the bat?
1: Dude, here's the craziest part. If they ever let me play the outfield, I, I am and have been on most of my teams, one of the best outfielder in the, on the team, mm-hmm. including the outfielders. Now, obviously, outfielders aren't out there always because they're fielding. They're usually out there because they're hitting. But for me, i I get tremendous jumps on baseballs. I'm fast. I can track things down. And I'm a really good athlete. I'm a great outfielder. But after you go seven years without hitting, it's like, okay, let me get back into the swing of things. And then clubs just don't want you to. Yeah. So nowadays, Otani's out there. He's doing his thing and, and doing his thing. He's doing really good. But I sit there and I wonder sometimes like, hey, what if they just let me play both the entire time? What would it have been like? What if he just let guys play both now
2: mm-hmm.
1: it'd be amazing to see what they do and how, how successful they'd be but clubs just don't do it
0: i mean i think there's otani and there's a dude in the tampa bay Rays system by the name of brendan mckay he's a he's another two-way guy but i do i do wish i'm like you I would, I would like to see maybe more of those types of players come come along
1: they'll never and, exist but
0: they won't i know
1: the the reason why they won't is this they don't want pitchers to get hurt if you're a better pitcher than you are a position player if you're a good pitcher they do not want you to do anything else yeah because pitching is all that matters in, in a, to a team you can never have enough pitchers if you had if you had 10 cy young winners on your squad you'd be upset that you don't have 12 just the way baseball works so if you happen to be a good outfielder and a good pitcher they're always going to force you to be a pitcher yeah now tani is is an in-between guy just because he was a hitter and such successful hitter of, of japan and that was part of his contract coming to the united states but he could also 100 miles an hour so you can't deny one and the other and then when he got hurt he could still hit yeah, And so he did so well that it's like, well, I guess we have to keep letting him do this. But if he takes, like I played on, I played on one of my Mets teams. We had Syndergaard, who's a right-handed pitcher, but bats left-handed. Zach Wheeler, a right-handed pitcher, bats left-handed. DeGrom, a right-handed pitcher, bats left-handed. Uh, Mats throws left-handed, but bats right-handed. And there was one other we had. I'm trying uh, to think of another one that was a, that was a switch hitter, but
0: I'm no, not I, I, I I, say Bartolo. I,
1: no, Bartolo was definitely there, and he was a right that hit right-handed. But there there was one time where we had all five guys through one and hit the other, and the problem with it is, is that if you hurt yourself swinging the bat, then you can't pitch. Yeah. If you now the reason why it's so bad if you throw one way and bat the other way, is because your lead elbow for pitching. Is sitting right in front of your face. If you take one off the wrist, take one off the elbow. There was a time when I was DH where I took one off the hands and still had to go close out a ball game. Mm. So it's like, well, if we get him hurt, then he's not gonna be able to do his job. And that's why clubs are so quick to have you bunt the ball instead of actually try to, to hit. Pitchers are a lot better athletes than, than people give them credit for. And they're like, oh, look at him swinging the bat. You know, like this is so stupid. It's like that's because that's what clubs want us to do. There's Sometimes, even in the major leagues, clubs are like, Hey, don't swing the bat, it's a ten thousand dollar fine if you swing the bat. It's like, Okay, well, I guess I'm not swinging the bat.
0: I mean, look at look at uh, Masson
1: Bunkardner yeah. swing it, yeah. But I mean, he strikes out a ton, also. I, I mean, and <laughs> yeah, I Grinky, agree, they, Grinky yeah, though, is probably the best example of a hitter, yeah. He's the best Grinky example, he's actually bad like 300.
0: And so we're as I'm we're coming around second heading to third. I want to talk about your time with the Mets. You were there from I want to say 2013-2015. You 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 were part of that 2015 team that won the NL pennant and the NL East division too. You're part of that bullpen. You know that that was a key factor. You know with the you know the come in relief after the center guards, the DeGroms, such as that. And so my question is, did you have any favorite memories from your time in New York? Just, you know, you know, whether it's playing for Terry Collins, just experience the atmosphere in New York, things such as that.
1: As players, all that stuff, it's here or there. It's, yeah, it's not really, those aren't things that you really focus on or have like the, the deep seated memories. What right. it is as an athlete is the connections you make with players, the people you meet along the way. Because, I mean, we literally see these people more than if you, a, if you have a wife, you see your teammates more than you see your wife. If you have a kid, you see your teammates more than you see your kid. You, you spend eight, nine months with somebody. Every single day you have to see, see this person, even on weekends. You, you either create connections with them or you hate them, one or the other, you know? So as, as athletes, we generally miss the camaraderie and the clubhouse and the fun things like watching, uh, what's that soccer, Ted Lasso. I was just watching Ted Lasso. And it's funny because they depict one thing very well in that show is the connection inside of a clubhouse. There's one time where one of the athletes, one of the, one of the, uh, football players, uh, is going out on a date and there's always a guy in the clubhouse that can cut hair. And so he's like, hey, I need you to cut my hair. And he's like, ooh, you're going to let me cut your hair? They made an entire thing about it. You know, like they put him up on a, on, a, on a stand, everyone's cheering around him while the guy's cutting his hair, fading him up, all that. That actually happens. That kind of stuff happens in a clubhouse. There is such a connection and such random things that we do on a daily basis, on a, on a occasion basis, like somebody has a kid, somebody gets married somebody has their first date, somebody yeah. does something well in a game. Uh, I remember it was uh, Neuenheis. We just got finished trading away um, uh, Kirk Neuenheis to the Angels and um, ended up getting him back in some really weird Rule 5 way. And so he, we just got him back to the New York Mets. And that game, the very first game, he had three home runs in a ball game. And I get in the club and say, oh, Mets. Best pickup ever! It's just so funny because he was already on our team. Took him off the roster, which allowed LA to pick him up. LA took him back off the roster. The Mets picked him back up. He played in that ball game, hit three home runs. We're like, oh, best pickup ever, man! Great job, you know. Like, we just sit there and laugh about it because we're cheering on the teammate's success. Yeah, teammate did something really good. We're sitting there cheering them on. Like, yeah, dude, way to be but there's such a camaraderie inside the clubhouse that those are the things that you miss. The people that help you along the way, the people that you've helped along the way, those are the things.
0: And so as we're riding third and heading for home, you know, CT, I've known you for a while and, you know, you've known that I've done this charity event for God knows eight years now and you've been a supporter. You've donated stuff for me, you know, Kept up with it, things as, such as that. Just, and I always tell the the cheesy line of it's a it's a family type of thing, you know, with the, with this softball brand. And so, just just what's it been? What's it like just being a part of as a supporter? What's it like being part of it?
1: Well, it's actually interesting seeing it grow. I remember the first event you put on, uh, compared to the last event you put on and the lives that you're changing along the way. And you're like, oh, like this is doing a lot of really good things for people. And uh, obviously charities are something that uh, people don't pay attention to every single day. Uh, uh, Charities are formed and events are put on for charity and they don't really get the praise they get for it. But the people that they affect, they realize how special it really is. Mm -hmm. So seeing where it originally started as an idea, to where it is now, it's a tremendous thing. And literally attributed to only you and your desire to want to put on this event and help people that are going through the same thing you're going through. Like there was, there was a saying in a, in a book, be, be the change you needed. You know, like as a kid, we always needed something. To be there for someone else that was you at that point in time in your life and needed something and had no clue what to, how to get it or no clue nobody was there to help them or nobody could understand them now you're actually a, you're actually that vehicle that hey i've been there i know what you need here's what it is those things uh are special things yeah. that should be applied to it a lot more than they are
0: you know and it's you know there's a saying i don't, i don't know if you remember the name reggie sanders he was a major league outfielder and one of the things I tell people is just, you know, I learned this from him because he's done his own stuff with kids with autism here in South Carolina. Like he even put on his own event a couple of years ago. You know, it's, you just use your passion and your purpose to inspire others to use theirs. And that's just something I feel like, you know, fits, fits the description perfectly, you know, and being a person that's been able to make an impact is mind blowing because, like you're saying, when this thing first started, I could have never pictured pictured that. And now I got people telling me, like, hey, I recognize you. Hey, can you, you know, I like for you to be with my kid or things like that. And I'm just like, that's kind of just want to look around and like me at all people. That's the that's, that's, that's that's way it works. Support. Anybody yeah.
1: can be that. Anybody that's willing to put forth the effort. And it's a lot of effort. That's the reason why there's not a lot more of it. Yeah. I mean and if you're willing to put in the effort and do that for the, for somebody else, it's something that should be applied to a lot more than it is, especially in this day and age.
0: Yeah, I mean it's and it's crazy because I always I always nibble credit to you know growing up, being around guys like you, Danks, D-Rod, just the 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 personality sort of thing, just kind of being laid back, just seeing how you know, you guys connected with fans sort of thing to where me now, I just tried to apply just to make something special. I, I I don't know if that's that's the right way to look at it, but...
1: Whatever works, man. You're doing yeah. good things. So you can't I, really stop you know, like doing said, that. Do.
0: So lastly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, feel free to check out the sky softball oh i know i forgot something uh you want to plug away social medias or anything are you still into that no i
1: i don't i actually used it originally for a very specific reason i didn't tell you afterwards but i mean my my things are just at carlos og taurus it it is what it is um i don't really go on them so much especially in this day and age but it's so always nice to see people, what they're doing, like the people you actually want to follow and stuff like that. So Yeah.
0: Well, lastly, CT, I appreciate you doing this for a, a new season of the Sky Softball Podcast. For those listening at home, thank you for listening. Feel free to follow the Sky Softball Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Sky Softball G on Twitter and Instagram. Sky Softball Game on Facebook. And that does it for this episode of the podcast. CT, thanks again, bro.
2: For sure, man.